Hello again. You have returned to Father Sean's podcast. I'm glad you are here with us today. I've been thinking recently maybe I should rename the podcast, uh, maybe make it a little bit more universally acceptable as opposed to just people who, who just kind of know me. Um, I think it's helpful for a lot of folks, and uh, if it can be helpful for p- folks who don't know me, well, praise the Lord. But maybe the, the name should change. I don't, I don't know if I like my name flying across the world, flying across the country, right there on the title of the podcast. So anyways, if you got any ideas of what I might call it, let me know. Uh, today I'm going out to uh, the convocation for a priest, kind of a gathering together of priests in the Diocese of Tulsa here. So I'm looking forward to that. It'll be a nice time of prayer together, nice time of uh, learning and just passing some time together. The theme is just kind of the priesthood and different dimensions of that. So it'll be good. Uh, looking forward to that a lot. Our, our presenters coming in from Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon. And Senior John Syak. So we're, we're super excited about that. So please pray for us, even if we might already be finished when you're listening to that. Uh, that's fine. It'll be the first week of June. So I'm pretty pumped. Pretty pumped. So today we're going to be talking about chapters 18 and 19 of this Genesis story. Today is a little bit more of an intense story with all these stories are great and classic and a lot of them have some good intensity i mean there's just classic stories we're looking at sodom the story of sodom which is maybe a little bit more of the story of lot uh, and sodom just happens to be the the city that 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 the story is taking place at at the setting though there also has some significant elements to us today uh, one of them being sodom is kind of known for the city of homosexuality and it was destroyed for its great sin we'll, we'll address that a little bit but i noticed on my google calendars google was so kind as to remind me that on june 1st tomorrow we begin uh, lgbt lgbtq plus pride month which, you know, we, we love these people. They are made in the image and likeness of God. However, we certainly do not take pride in those actions. They are very sad because of their uh, nature as contradictory to the Lord's plan. So it's super sad. But, you know, the Lord works miracles. And we have great hope that the, these folks who are engaged in those activities may, may really come to know and love the Lord and to bring their lives in conformity with him. I mean, this is the project for all of us. It's not like they're unique in that way. All of us are striving to come to know the Lord and bring our lives in conformity with, with, with his plan and his path and to know and to taste the joy and the peace that comes from living within the kingdom of God, living as, as children of the Lord, as children of the king. I guess if he's the king and we're the children that makes us princes and princesses hallelujah so anyways just kind of want to introduce that here because that's something that i won't dive into a ton but at the same hand it's kind of relevant so if you remember last time the first part of chapter 18 was these three men they come to abraham and they come bearing and these are kind of like these figures of god i concluded with the idea that these are a sort of representation or manifestation of the Trinity. There are three people and three guests, and they seem to manifest themselves as the Lord, as the Lord. That's kind of how the text is written. And they prophesy that in a year from now, they will return and Sarah will be bearing a child. His name will be Isaac, which means laughter, because both Abram and Sarah laugh for different reasons. And now today, the story continues with these three men. These three men who had accompanied Abram now now continue on their path. So there's this interior debate within the Lord. 
that that is revealed. We hear this 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 debate, these words say, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grave that I must go down and see whether or not their actions fully correspond to the outcry that comes to me. I mean to find out. A few points here I want to mention here. God views evil through the lens of the cry of the downtrodden. I think this is wonderfully significant. God just doesn't see the evils, but he's noting that these evils are coming to him through the victims, through those who are suffering these evils. You know, sometimes we think this, you know, well, I'll make the conclusion here that the sin and the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is homosexuality, the acting out on that, not to have that experience and that urge is sinful. It might not be helpful for arriving at the Lord's plan, but the acts are contradictory to it. But that affects other people. The cry of the downtrodden are being heard by God. Secondly, the motivation is that God is motivated by the strength of, com- of the complaint as well as the grave nature of the, of the content of the complaint, complaint, that the sin that is being done here is incompatible with God's providential rule over humanity. Excuse me. The third point, the final point here I want to mention just briefly, kind of recalls us back to the Tower of Babel where God descended down to see what humans were doing. Uh, God, in this interior dialogue, is saying, I mean to find out. I must go down. And there's this divine condescension. God is coming down to humanity. So in some way, this is a a prefiguring of the divine humiliation of the incarnation, but that's pretty removed. <laughs> to be a hard, hard stretch to make that claim. So now these three figures do something that begins to dissolve the idea that this could be a, a, f- a figure of the Trinity. And I'm not saying it's not because a lot of the church fathers, a lot of the church fathers saw these three figures to be uh, manifestations or prefigurings of what would later be known as the Trinity, even though it existed well before the creation of the world. But what happens here is different. And this is why not all the church fathers agree with this. While, because they separated, the one stayed with Abraham and then the two angels went towards the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. While the two men walked on, the Lord remained standing before Abraham. So that's what's going on here. Two men walked on. These were the messengers of the Lord, but the Lord remained before Abram, which is kind of interesting because he associates himself. He identifies himself as one of these angel figures, these messenger figures, even though one stays and the two keep going. Very interesting. Though, who knows? It's just very interesting. I mean, these two figures that keep going, maybe the, the Lord that remains is the Father or these two other men are still figuring as the Son and the Holy Spirit, perhaps. I don't know. It's, but it kind of seems to break down here a little bit. Now, the mission that these two go on is to, to investigate the city and to bring about the destruction of it. Now, Abraham knows of this because he heard this interior dialogue with God, within God. And he appeals to the Lord. Will you sweep away the innocent with the guilty? Come on, God. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to make the 
innocent die with the guilty so that the innocent and guilty would be treated alike? Should not the judge of the world act with justice? I love that. I just love that. You know, for a number of reasons here. First off, there is the reminder to God of who you are, God. Abraham's saying, hey, God, like this is who you are. Like you're not a God who just lumps together the innocent with the guilty. No, you're better than that. You are just, you are almighty. You know, you are, you distinguish the right from the wrong, the sinners from the innocent. And won't you do it again? Won't you do it again? You're going to go and destroy the city, but there are some good people in it, perhaps. Wouldn't you hold back your hand? So I like how God, how, and this is a theme that is repeated that we see throughout Scripture, that the person who is interceding for others is reminding God who you are, <laughs> reminding God who he is, God. You are the God of mercy. You are the God of compassion. You are the God of justice. You are the God of our forefathers. You you did these things in the past. Are you not going to be faithful to your people now? Come on, God. And I kind of like how that appeals because these are, you know, these are examples for us. This is how we should interact intercede for other people. The second thing I really want to highlight is that there is an appeal not to mercy, but to justice. To justice. The innocent have something owed to them, uh, that there is a punishment that is due. And yet, the good also have something that is due to them. You know, after Jesus Christ, we have a lot more nuance on this idea of merit, and it becomes totally reconfigured. But here, in a very basic way, is God rewards the good, and God punishes the evil. And really, I think we should interpret this punishing of the evil as letting the evil that that we have caused because of our sin be our own, be our be its own consequence. We did something dumb. Well, we're going to suffer the consequences of it, and God's just going to let us suffer that, so that we can come back to Him. Um, you know, this is a little bit unique here within this this story of Genesis here, because it does appear that God is bringing and adding a punishment. But if He does so, it is to restore the world. He is He's eliminating this influence of evil to bring about and to protect the goodness of the world and to continue His plan. So anyways, another dimension of this appeal of Abraham is the strength and the boldness of it. If you find 50, if we find 50 innocent people, please God, save them. Okay, maybe not 50. How about, how about 40? How about 30? How about 20? How about 10? You know, each time Abraham anticipates uh, this, this grandeur of his appeal, his boldness by saying, Lord, you know, if you're so kind, you know, I know I shouldn't be appealing to you this way, but you know, I'm, I'm encouraged by your love and your justice and your mercy. And so he continues to make these bold intercessions. And God responds favorably with people who intercede boldly. And I love that. Abraham intercedes for an unknown humanity, and then he simply returns home. That's kind of how that, his intercession concludes. And then we pick up with Lot. You remember Lot? He was going his own direction because he was becoming so rich that he could no longer stay with Abraham, who was also so rich. So Lot's kind of going his own path, which is fine. It's all That is within God's plan, it appears. And he is living in this city of Sodom. And the angels come to him, these two angels, and he presses them to stay with them, just like Abraham did. And he, just like Abraham, bows with his face to the ground. Now, the very challenge, the very source of conflict is when all the citizens of Sodom come to Lot 
and request his guests. Hey, we want your guests for intimacies with them. The, the word here is to know them. In the same, it's the same Hebrew word that was that was when we heard and Adam knew his wife Eve. You know, there's this sexual intimacy, this sexual knowing, and it's just the citizens of Sodom, and they're asking for these strangers. Wait, we want to know them. It's just like totally gross. It's just crazy. And the you know one thing I want to mention here is that it was everyone who did this. It was everyone who did this. The second is we get a glimpse into the the nature of the sin of Sodom. There's this sexual depravity. Uh, it's just I want you know you have men in your home. We want those men for ourselves. There is scriptural evidence that the sin of Sodom was not just this. We hear of that they forgot about the poor, that they ignored the, the cry of the poor. We also hear of their great pride and humility, and uh, not humility, pride and haughtiness. In other parts, you know, the, the prophets are reminding Israel, don't be like Sodom where they ignored the cry of the poor, where they were proud and haughty. And I want to make a little, little conclusion from this. You know, the sin of Sodom is, is not just the homosexual acts that they are striving for. No, it is, that is just a conclusion. What is more fundamental is that they have considered themselves excellent in a way that is independent from God, and they have chosen their own plan for themselves against the plan of God, which is the exact definition of pride. I want my way and not, my, and not God's way. Like the old song, I did it my way. That's just terribly proud. I heard, heard that at a funeral one time, and that made me very angry. I was like, no, absolutely not. You know, this is, this is like the, the chant that you would sing on the way to, to hell. Absolutely not. So what I'm saying here is the pride leads to ignoring the poor, which leads to doing whatever you want, uh, following whatever desire that happens to come your way and thinking you have a right to follow your desires. None of us have a right to pursue whatever desire we have. We need to always submit all of our desires under the plan of God. And then also the last comment on this little, just this, the basic setting of the scene is that it's just totally sick. It's gross. There's a real sickness here because, you know, the irony that we have as the readers is we know that these are divine messengers. These are angels, maybe even figures of God. And the citizens are just wanting. They're just wanting. They have no idea of what they are really asking. And it's just gross. You know, they're, they're wanting intimacies with some kind of divine being. And that has a dignity well beyond the dignity of any human being. So Lot makes an appeal. Okay, you want these guests? Absolutely not. No, 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 no. How about this? I give you my virgin daughters. Isn't that acceptable to you? Won't you take them instead? And they say, no, no, we want your guests. Which on one hand highlights the depravity. It's just a lot of depravity here. Lots depravity perhaps is beginning to, to come to the forefront. We're going to continue to see how this unfolds later on. But one interpretation is that he is sacrificing his daughters to this sexually hungry crowd. Another interpretation is that he was not doing that. In fact, this was an insult to the people. He made this kind of joke. He was kind of like mocking their, their homosexual desires and their thirst. And, and he's kind of mocking this, and he's insulting the people. And there's some biblical evidence in this because the people get offended. They say no to the daughters, and they become offended at Lot. 
another little comment here is that there's it might highlight the value of hospitality in the ancient world, um, but but it really becomes a gross accentuation of, of hospitality. It's, it's super nasty. Uh, you know, who in the world would love the guests more than their own children? But anyway, so we don't know exactly how to interpret this. It could be interpreted in a number of ways, but ultimately at the end, the crowd wants to kill Lot. They are very offended, and they... They are hateful, whether because he insulted them or because he withheld what they wanted. Now, the angels take the the protagonist role here because they pull Lot in from the crowd and they save his life as they are approaching to, to snatch him away. And then these angels strike all of them blind and they reveal themselves to be the destroying angels, not just angels on a on an investigation, but angels who are sent to destroy now. And Lot says to his son-in-laws, go, go, flee, you know, get away, go be safe. But they laughed. No, haha, no way. You know, God won't destroy the city. That's crazy. And when dawn came, the angels then commanded Lot's departure with his family. But now, instead of him uh, encouraging his son-in-laws with haste, Lot is now the one hesitating. And there's another depravity here. Oh, I don't, I don't want to go. You won't destroy us, will you? Kind of whining here. But then we hear that by the Lord's mercy, that's a phrase there, it's beautiful. By the Lord's mercy, they seized his hand and took him with his wife and daughter and led them out. Beforehand, the city was not destroyed because of the just people, but there was only these few people that were found to be just and God didn't destroy it. But at the same hand, those who God recognized as just did not leave the city because God was going to wipe it clean anyways. And and now mercy enters in. Uh, you have sinned against me by not trusting me, Lot. Okay, now in mercy, you have fallen from justice, from a situation of justice with God and right relationship. I'm now going to just take you out myself. And that's what happens. They flee. With the command, do not look back. Go to the hills and do not come back. And a lot again complains. You know, this is really a fall from grace for Lot. He says, no, I can't. I'm going to die. Maybe we can just stay here. Maybe we can just stay here in this small little town. You know, he complains in despair. And he makes his own alternative. I'm just going to stay here. How about that? Is that okay? He kind of intercedes for himself, which is very unlike Abraham, who interceded for the city. And Lot is now interceding for himself out of laziness, out of not trusting God, out of not having the zeal to to obey God as God desired to be obeyed. But again, God is merciful and granted that request. Okay, you can stay in that small little town. And then the total destruction arrives. Fire from heaven. The town is turned upside down. Lot's wife, you know, they must be able to hear all this. You know, the fire in the sky, they're going to see, you know, the brightness of it all. And there would be this really intrinsic and natural curiosity to turn back and see what's going on. But Lot's not doing it. His daughters are not doing it. But his wife does turn around, turns into a pillar of salt, disobeys God, and suffers the, the natural consequences of that. God was mindful of Abraham by sending Lot away from the upheaval. That's one little verse that we hear. And I, and I like that because it's God is being merciful to Abraham now by not striking Lot and, and having him fall into the consequences of his own 
laziness or disobedience or whatever it might be. God respects Abraham and his intercession, and in respect for that, uh, saves Lot, saves Lot. The final story from this section is his ultimate final fall from grace. I mean, it's really just a crazy, disgusting story. His He's there with his daughters. It's just him and his daughters in this little town. I think they eventually make it up to the hills. But the daughters are desirous to have the blessing of offspring. They want to have kids because this is part of God's plan and they know it. This is the very first blessing. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. And they have not had children and they are worried that they won't have the opportunity to have children. So this is what they did. I mean, this is very directly their motivation. We hear this in the text. That we may have offspring of him, of Lot. So they gave Lot wine, and he drank the wine, and he drank a lot of the wine. He drank so much of the wine that when the older sister went in to lay with him, he was not aware of her. And then the next one went in. The next night, they gave him a lot more wine, to the point where when the younger sister went in again, he was not aware of her. This word, not aware of her, is that same word that we heard from Adam and Eve, and Adam knew his wife, and again, uh, the same word that the the people of Sodom, and Sodom were wanting to live out with these guests. They wanted to know the guests. But here, the wine lost uh, it betrayed Lot. It Lot lost his ability to know. Very fascinating. You don't catch this from the English translation, but all this was about knowing. And then after the wine came, Lot drank so much that he wasn't even able to know her. This was a form of sexuality that is beyond depravity. It is just animal. It is just bestial to the point where you know, it's, it's, it's even a step further beyond homosexual activity. It is now incest. It is now incest. And you can't, there's not even the dignity of knowing the other person. There's not even the, the idea or the, the facade of, oh, yes, I have some affection towards you. No, he's just acting as an animal. He totally falls from grace, which is very sad because he was originally the only one who was just in that city. God sent these angels to pull him out to save him. But it turns out it was more for Abraham's sake than it was for Lot, because Lot is just on a little little downturn here, big downturn, very, very sad. And this is what we hear at the end of this. They both became pregnant by their father. And this is meant to be a very gross statement. This really highlights the dangers of alcohol. You know, sometimes I think college kids or whoever thinks, why is that a grave sin? Why is that a grave sin? It's a grave sin because God has made us in his image and in his likeness, which gives us a profound dignity. And part of being in the image and likeness of God means that we have an intellect and a will, that we do have this animal structure, but it is called to be under the command of our intellect and will, that whatever we know is good, we choose. We identify the good thing to do and we implement that. Even if, if it disagrees and rubs our, our animal nature the opposite direction, it is for the good. And alcohol eliminates that. It makes us beasts. It makes us beasts. And I would say it becomes a mortal sin 
the moment that we lose our intellectual faculties or we lose our free will. You know, it's not just having a, you know, maybe a little bit too much to drink and getting a little tipsy. I mean, if you drive when you shouldn't, yeah, that's a moral sin because you might kill someone. Absolutely. Let there be no doubt. But, but you really have to lose your intellectual faculty and your, and your free will for it to be a grave sin. So as we kind of listen to this story, there's crazy stories here. We, we hear some themes here. The nature of justice, that God is going to be just. The nature of intercession, that, that it is very important to intercede, not for ourselves, but for others, because this is, this is God's plan. God will bring about goodness as we intercede. Uh, that there is mercy, that there is mercy, even for sinners. And this is kind of goes hand in hand with that intercession. But then there's also the reality of someone who is good, who is in a right relationship with God, falls from grace all the way down to the nature of being a beast, as Lot did. Super, super sad story with Lot here, and just very interesting. But I think there are just a lot of good theological insights and conclusion about how to intercede, how God is faithful to himself and his plan, how God looks upon evil, how he hears evil through the cry of the poor. I mean, all these are fascinating. I love, love, love this stuff. So thanks for tuning in again. This has been another episode of Father Sean's podcast. Again, if you, you know, share this with people. If you find this, if you think this will be helpful, you know, let people know about it. I love this stuff. There's so much real richness in this. So please share it if it's helpful. If you have a name for my podcast that you'd like to submit let me know just send me a little email or or text me or, or facebook me or whatever i am accessible all right may god bless you thanks for tuning in and i'll see you next time peace to y'all bye